If you have your Bible this morning, please turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We'll be in Luke 5, starting in verse 1 this morning. Now, I tend to think of myself as a pretty easygoing guy, uh, but there are a few pet peeves that I have of things that just really get to me. And, and I'll spare you the, the, the whole list that I have. Maybe, maybe I'll share that a different day. Uh, but the one thing for this morning's purposes that really gets me, it gets to me, is when you text someone and then they call you back. That is the worst. When you, I just, I needed a simple text, and I didn't have, need to have a phone call, and, and, and then the, my phone is ringing. It drives me nuts. And I have a few friends that do this. I think they do it on purpose now at this point because they know how much it bothers me. I know some of you are are older, and that probably doesn't resonate with you as much. And and I get it. I I value personal connection, human connection, as much as the next guy. Uh, and I'm not even like the typical millennial guy. I, I, I didn't even get free texting until I got to college. I was a sophomore in college. Before that, you had to spend a quarter to send 140 characters or less. So I'm an old timer. I get it. Uh, but there are others of you that probably know where I'm, go- you know, where I'm, I'm coming from, especially in, in 2018 and in our day and age. Texting is almost completely pervasive. It's the most widely used app on any smartphone with 97% of Americans using texting at least once a day, sending at least one text a day. Worldwide, we will send 8.3 trillion text messages in just this year alone. That's almost 23 billion messages per day or almost 16 million per minute. The average millennial exchanges an an average of 67 texts per day, which I think is probably a little on the low end. And on average, Americans exchange twice as many texts as they do calls. We're beginning a new series this morning simply called DMs, Messages from the Master. And for those of you that aren't exactly uh, savvy with this kind of lingo, uh, lingo, a DM is a direct message. These are the, the messages, the texts, the snaps, the posts, the tweets that we send to those who are closest to us. And th- there's a reason why those people who interrupt you with business calls during dinner are called telemarketers, not textomarketers. You know, when we're close to somebody, we, we send them messages. For those whom we are close to, we reserve these direct messages. And when we look at the Gospels, we see kind of three different groups that Jesus interacts with on a regular basis. We see, first of all, over and over, the crowds. The crowds love Jesus. They love his miracles and they love his charisma. They love that he speaks with authority. They love that he came to bring a revolution. That he's going to to stick it to Rome and put Israel back on the map. But for all those things that the crowds loved, the second group, the religious leaders, hated. They hated his his attraction to the crowds. They hated everything about it. Why can't he just fall in line? Why can't he keep the peace? Why can't he follow the rules? Every time they they try to trap him, he ends up turning it around on them. But then there is a third group that I want to focus on through this series. The group that was closest to Jesus. That when Jesus spoke often in parables or to the crowds or, or questions to the religious leaders, this third group, Jesus just spoke plainly and directly. This group, of course, being his disciples. Coming off of our core value series, one of the values that we looked at was this value that Jesus is the center. And I wanted to look at what Jesus has to say to those whom he w- to whom he was closest. 
you know, to those who had centered their lives around Jesus, when, when Jesus and his disciples were walking along the road or sharing a meal or just sitting around a campfire, what were the kind of things that Jesus said to them? What DMs, what direct messages did Jesus give them? Of course, this is more than just an academic study for us. This is more than just a, a look at what Jesus had to say to them back in his day. It's also what he has to say to us as well. Most of us, simply by being here this morning, show that we're at least interested in Jesus. I would say the majority of us probably could even go as far to say we have a relationship with him. But as we seek to deepen this relationship, I wanted to look at the things that Jesus might say to us or ask us as his followers as well. And I think the message that Jesus has for us this morning in Luke chapter 5 is this message of trust me. Trust me. Your faith is something that we talk about all the time in church. We even kind of use it as a shorthand for Christianity. We often call uh, our Christianity the faith. And often we think of faith in terms of belief. You know, I have, I have belief, therefore I have faith. But trust is the difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. You know, you could say, if you had a chair sitting right here, you know, I, I believe in this chair. And it is existence is plain. You all are, are sitting in them. Chairs exist. But until you really place your full weight on the chair, before the feet come off the floor, before you really settle back in deep, you can't really say that you trust it. This morning in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling four men, his, his first disciples, to put their weight on him to follow him or to trust him. Read with me in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennaret, or we often call it the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now this is not the first time that Peter, uh, his brother Andrew, James, and John, those who are uh, present as Jesus is, is talking and, and leading them to fish in this specific spot, this is not the first interaction they've had with Jesus. Previously in Jesus' ministry, they had followed him around for about nine months. They had been there when he turned the water into wine for his first miracle. They had been previous followers of disciples of John the Baptist. And so as Jesus has come now to fulfill what John was talking about and prophesying about and, and looking forward to, they have kind of transferred their discipleship over to Jesus. But after nine months of following Jesus, I have to imagine that life kind of beckoned them. You know, bills needed paid and, and businesses needed run and responsibilities needed fulfilled. And so while these four men had known Jesus, or maybe you could even say dabbled with Jesus, they weren't really all in yet. And so Jesus comes into their lives once more to call them to a greater commitment, to a greater trust. But Jesus doesn't show up at like the best moment for them. Jesus has, has used this fishing boat as a makeshift pulpit with the water working as a natural amphitheater for the crowds to hear him. And then he begins to dole out the fishing advice. 
the disciples have been in a slump. The nine months of bills to pay have been piling up, but the night before, they had come up largely empty. And if you've ever fished, you can probably imagine uh, the frustration of these guys. You can be doing the right thing and, and the right processes, using the, the right lure, and, and just continue to come up empty. I go on these men's fishing trips. I've been a couple of times now, and I will be standing in the water right next to Lynn Hoover using the same lure, and this guy will throw it out over and over, pulling in all these trout, and I'm just sitting there thinking, what is the difference between what we're doing right now? And so you know the frustration of, of, of you know, practicing your casting. You're just standing out there catching nothing. And so the disciples are kind of in this process. They've not caught much, even though they're doing everything they've always done. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you try that spot over there? And knowing Peter and his mindset and the way he thinks and speaks often from the rest of the Gospels, I can kind of imagine the internal monologue going on within him at this point. You know, all, oh, all of a sudden Jesus is, you know, he thinks he's a fisherman. You know, look, Jesus, I, I, I'm tired. We've been out all night uh, and we've had no luck. I just, I mean, you just use my boat to, to preach from. That's fine. You know, that's, I'm, I'm willing and, and happy to let you do that. But you just, you do your thing and I'll do mine. You know, I, I just got done cleaning the nets. I, I'm not going to throw them back into the water because you have a hunch. You have to remember that this isn't just a, a relaxing rod and reel operation here. These are heavy nets and large boats. It's not even the right time to be fishing. Usually the best fishing happens at night. It's not even the best location. The best fishing happens near the shore for these men, not in the deep of the lake. I mean, here you've got this carpenter turned preacher telling professional fishermen where to find the best fishing. And I think what Jesus is really telling Peter, and really telling us when it comes to this issue of trust, is saying, trust me, even when it doesn't make sense. Trust me, even when it doesn't make sense. You see, for these first four disciples, this was in the context of fishing, but aren't there times when Jesus also calls us to trust Him, even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense? I mean, it's no secret that life doesn't always go according to plan. Maybe you and your spouse had planned to grow old and travel the world one day. Or you'd plan to have your dream job by now, or you'd plan to have a, a, a sizable but modest home on the cul de sac with a white picket fence filled with all these little ones running around. For me, it was that I'd planned to, you know, take my full ride scholarship to a Florida university for engineering, and yet here I am as a preacher in Kansas. In these moments where life doesn't make sense, or He's leading you to do things that weren't what you had planned, Jesus still says, Can you trust me? More often than not, we want assurance before trust. We want understanding before obedience. You know, we want to put a little weight on the chair, test it out a little bit. Maybe put a small child up there to, to, to test the strength. But odds are, there's probably a chair in your life that you're struggling with whether or not you can trust God with it. And as much as we like to pick on Peter in the Gospels, I think we can learn something from his response to Jesus. Verse 5, it says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Despite having just fished with miserable results the night before, despite it being the wrong time of day to fish in the wrong spot, still Peter 
despite being a professional fisherman and Jesus just being a preacher, Peter calls him master. Peter is the professional fisherman. He knows the sea. He knows the odds of going out there and catching something at this time of day in this spot. But still he chooses to trust Jesus because he's seen Jesus in action before. Verse 6, it says, When they had done so, when they let down the nets, they caught a large number of fish, that, so large that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all, he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And what's really going on here, what's really at play here, is more than just a miraculous catch of fish. Because more often than not, Jesus' miracles kind of act like a, like a real-world parable. Jesus uses these illustrations of greater and deeper spiritual realities. These are signs that point not just to Jesus' power, but also to His person and what He wants to do in people's lives. Jesus is about to call these four fishermen to follow Him full-time to become his disciples, to become a part, an integral part, the, the core of his ministry partnerships. And so what he is testing with this miracle or with this enacted parable is he's asking them the question, asking himself the question, can I trust them to trust me even when they think they know better? You see, if Peter had not trusted and obeyed, there would probably not have been a catch of fish. Jesus had the power he could have full well that caused all the, leap to, all the fish to leap out of the water and land in the boats, that, but that's not usually how Jesus works. Jesus says, I'm about to call you to follow after me in the mission of fishing for people, so will you trust me to provide what you need to do so? Will you trust me enough to do what I say even when it doesn't make sense? And as we ponder this, this question for ourselves, you know, what are we praying for? What are we praying for God to do if we will trust Him? And if we do trust Him, are you expectant that He will show up? If we center ourselves around Jesus, what are we expecting Him to do in our lives? Maybe He's you know, waiting to show you Mr. or Mrs. Right, but He's calling you to do so, waiting patiently with purity and trust. Maybe he's waiting to meet your financial needs, but he's asking you to trust him with your giving first. Maybe he's wanting to bring freedom and healing to your hurts, but he's asking you to trust him with it completely rather than trying to conquer it on your own. Jesus' blessing to these fishermen was so abundant that it threatened to sink the boat. And I think without over-spiritualizing here, Jesus has abundant blessings for us as well, if we trust him, even when it doesn't make sense. But Jesus is also calling us to a second kind of trust. Because as much of an inconvenience as it might have been to pick up freshly cleaned nets and row out to the center of the lake and drop them down in the deep, even in the wrong time of day, even if there were no fish, even if there was no miraculous catch, it would have cost them little more than time and energy. But following the miraculous catch, Jesus is calling them to something that requires far greater trust. Verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. 
Sometimes Jesus calls us to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. But also sometimes he calls us to calls us to trust him in a way that demands more. The second way we see this morning is Jesus says, trust me, even when it requires sacrifice. Trust me, even when it requires sacrifice. You see, Jesus' call on the lives of these four men who would become his most faithful and trusted friends is more than just a call to ministry. It's a call to leave everything else behind. And we tend to give the disciples kind of a lame rap when it comes to stuff like this. We, we like to look at their flaws and their failures and pick on them. And say, oh, they were just kind of dumb old fishermen that had no drive or ambition before Jesus showed up. But these, these guys weren't just four guys you know, sharing a net and a pole, passing it back and forth, just trying to scrape by. They had large boats, plural. They had business partners, plural. They had other boats to signal to. They were fishing in one of the most profitable fishing holes in the area. To leave everything to go and take part in the ministry of Jesus wasn't a, you know, well, shocks. I guess we got nothing better to do kind of decision. This was a decision of radical trust and commitment to follow after Jesus, even at the risk of economic adversity. To leave behind everything and take part in this ministry was one to, to leave a career of lucrative, popular, steady income for the sake of the gospel. Even more than that, he calls them to follow after him in a time where antagonism with him was already growing between Jesus and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. There will be danger involved. And as Jesus called them, and please recognize they don't have all the answers. They were preconceptions and misconceptions that they had about who Jesus was and what he had come to do. But still, he called them to follow. Because trusting him would radically change their lives. This is the question I think we need to ask this morning is what are we willing to sacrifice when it comes to trusting Jesus? Are we willing to sacrifice our comforts? or our conveniences, or even our careers. And as each of us kind of seek to answer that question and look at what we have in our lives that Jesus might calling, call us to sacrifice when it comes to trusting Him, I want to encourage you to, to pray through that this week. To say, God, you know, where are you working that I could join you in what you are already accomplishing? You know, rather than looking to my plans and asking you to bless them, where can I look to where you're already leading and join you in that? Jesus, where would you have me trust you, even if it doesn't make sense? What would you have me sacrifice that I might be closer to you and hear your call in my life? And as you pray, this pray these prayers this week or, or similar things like it, I also want to encourage you to then look for opportunities. To look for the areas in, in your work or home or, or your neighborhood when you're taking out the trash or mowing the lawn. To look for opportunities of how Jesus might answer this call in your life. This call to trust of maybe he's leading you to a different kind of job. Maybe he's leading you to a different place. Maybe he's just leading you to take a step across the street and have a conversation with a neighbor. And so as you pray and as you look for opportunities, I just want to encourage you and challenge you then to respond and trust. Also, I want to ask you how will you respond this morning. As we read through this passage, we kind of hopped over verse 8 real quick. Peter's response to this catch. 
when Peter came to the realization that Jesus could be trusted, and in more ways than just with a hoard of fish, it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Peter, in realizing who Jesus is, comes face to face with his own sinfulness. When he comes face to face with Jesus, he comes face to face with his own failures and knows that he is unworthy to be in the presence of God. He falls to his knees in a pile of wet, smelly fish, and he says, I am not worthy to be in your presence. But rather than leave, Jesus calls him to come. And Peter didn't know where they would go. But in the end, we do. Because Jesus doesn't want us to be unaware of exactly where our journey in trusting him might lead us if we choose to follow after him. Luke 9.23 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And taking up your cross is, is not just bearing an uh, unfavorable burden. It is taking on something that will march you to death. Because ultimately the call to trust leads to the cross. The cross where Jesus trusted his Father's plan to die as the sinless Savior of the world so that we would have hope of resurrected life in him. Because even when the plan of God didn't seem to make sense and required sacrifice, Jesus paid for the sinfulness of that fisherman up to his knees in a pile of fish and for our sins as well. And for anyone who might call upon him and trust him to be their Lord and Savior. And I think that a guy who would be willing to die for you is probably a guy worth trusting. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, come before you this morning asking that you would grow our trust. Asking that so often as we talk about our faith as simply our faith, we miss the nuances of what faith truly requires. That more than just simple belief that you exist or, or, or even are active in our lives, faith is a true and genuine trust. That we put all the chips in the middle and say, Jesus, I'm all in. That we put all our weight on the chair or all of our nets down into the deep, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it requires sacrifice, and say, Jesus, I want to trust you with my life. God, I know that every one of us have areas in our lives that we want to reserve a little bit of control, throw up a little bit of no trespassing tape, keep to ourselves and trust our own strengths, our own merits, God, I just pray that you would help us to break down those barriers and to co trust completely in you. And as we center our lives around you, that we would trust you more and more to respond to the opportunities that you give us each and every day to grow your kingdom and to grow our faith. God, we thank you for Jesus, who followed your plan, your rescue plan, even when it didn't seem to make sense, even when the cross seemed foolish to the world. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And he took upon our sins and our penalties, our punishment, where they were nailed to the cross and he was raised to new life so that we could experience true and genuine life in you. God, I pray that as we live out this life that you have given us, this new and resurrected life, we would lead us to trust, and to trust even when it doesn't make sense and even when it requires something from us. I pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.